Hey, agency owners, it's time for a new episode of the Agency Blueprint, the number one podcast for agency owners looking to discover strategies for scaling an agency to seven figures and beyond, while reducing stress and getting your personal life back. I'm your host, Robert Patton, international bestselling author, agency scale partner, and founder of Creative Agency Success. Before we get started today, I'd like to send you a copy of our brand new book, The Practical Agency, written specifically to help creative agency owners go beyond the creative side and build systems to simplify and quickly scale their agency to $100,000 a month. Go to creativeagencysuccess.com forward slash practical agency to claim your free copy. And now for the show. Hey everyone, we have Juliana Morolanda joining us again today. Most business owners, you know, get to a point where their business is working, but they don't know how to scale. That is where Juliana comes in, a business operations expert with over 20 years of experience across Wall Street and the nonprofit sector, technology startups, and family-owned businesses. Juliana and her team at ScaleTime have now served over 500 digital agencies She's been featured in Forbes and Entrepreneur and helps level up businesses into lean, mean, and profitable machines. Thanks so much for joining us again today, Juliana. Thank you so much for having me. I love being here. So appreciate it. So, you know, right before recording, we were talking about, you know, creative projects and everything and how projects really can kind of just go off the rails. They take forever to get done and they have so many rounds of revisions and then clients, you know, sometimes disappear. I just rattled off loads of different problems and <laughs> I'm sure that you can solve all the world's problems for us in this episode. So let's, but in all seriousness, what would you say is happening kind of in the background day to day and the typical root cause of these types of issues? So I would say most of these issues stem from, from two places. One, how you scope a project and two, how you onboard a client, right? Now, depending on how we're scoping a project, it and and when I say project, let me just clarify, right? Whether it's a project or a retainer or, you know, however hybrid you might have, engagement, yada, 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 right? Like however we're scoping the work, the deliverables that are being done for the client, we want to be real specific. And and I think depending on the maturity of the business, sometimes in the beginning, we don't know what Right? Like in the beginning, it's kind of like, we're going to just do everything or we're going to do all these things or we kind of know what we're doing, but we don't exactly know how long it's going to take. Take um, all the work we can. <laughs> yeah. So I think scoping is hard in the beginning. But once you get to a couple of iterations of doing something, then you start to really scope projects and engagements better. Right. Engagement slash retainers. And so one of the things is is understanding, like, how long is it going to take for something to do? How long is it going to take for a client to actually, you know, give you feedback, especially creative feedback? And I think creative feedback is difficult for a lot of clients if they haven't mm. been in a creative space themselves. You know, like you could be doing the most amazing campaign, but the owner who owns a plumbing company may not necessarily appreciate the nuances of such creativity and may not exactly know how to give feedback. So I think... First of all, it's, you know, checking around what the scoping looks like um, and in the scoping, you know, really include like how many revisions are available to the client so that you're not doing 20 million things. You know, what is inside of the scope versus outside of the scope so that if things are outside of scope, there are things like 
change orders or sign-offs or signatures, right? You don't want to, you know, be at the point where you're doing a UI UX project, let's say, you're about to launch a website and then the client wants one little tiny tweak. Yeah, we just want to change the logo. Mm. <laughs> now and we're going all the colors way and back. everything else, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like like the colors, the concept, the everything that's going to, you know, be attached to this. So really thinking through Right. Like what are the stages that the client is necessary? Um, how many revisions you can afford to give them given the price point? Right. Because I think it also really depends on if you're doing a five hundred dollar project versus a five thousand dollar project versus a fifty thousand dollar project or a half a million dollar project. Right. So these like this can really range. And I can talk about this as simply as like doing a website, right? Like a website can range mm -hmm. in these categories, depending on how big or small your client is, how sophisticated they are, how many stakeholders are there, right? Are you dealing with an owner? Are you dealing with a managing director? Are you dealing with an entire marketing team? So it really depends on who your client is and how the project is going to look like or what the retainer is going to look like. And I feel like... Mm -hmm scopes for retainer are the hairiest because it's good for pricing ish and then if if you're running a let's say three million dollar agency and you have maybe three four account managers and everyone thinks that the retainer looks different mm -hmm. now your profitability is going to suffer right because now yeah. we have a lack Scope of creep consistency is huge in retainers for sure it can absolutely it's be a big huge. problem if you don't watch it yeah Absolutely. So so that's creating the scope, I would say. And then it's the client onboarding. I often talk about client onboarding as like the stepchild of systems. It doesn't often get the attention it deserves in the family. No, it shouldn't. It really doesn't. <laughs> um, it really should. Yeah. It really should. And And how you onboard a client is really directly correlated to the lifetime value of that client, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have all of this social capital in the beginning that you've you've been able to to close the client, get them to trust you or get them to trust your sales team, depending on how big you are. And now it's time to start delivering. And for a lot of agencies that are very agile, like they just want to get straight to work. Right. It's like, OK, we're going to, mm -hmm. you know, go. But if you don't have a good intake process, right, where you get all of the information that you need from the client, if you're not aligned on the processes, like on the promises made during sales to what you're going to be delivering, you know, now you might be under delivering or over delivering if we haven't really reached what those outcomes results that we want from the client. Because sometimes the client might have an idea of what they want for results and you and the team might have a completely different idea of what they should be looking at mm -hmm. for results. And, and being able to reconcile those two, I think, is really important in the onboarding process because yep. sometimes, you know, and depending on how you're to, selling. Right? Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes you're like, all right, we're we're going to sell them what they want, give them what they need. But at the same time, you still got to give them what they want. And and so making sure that there's like just true alignment between the client and what you're being delivered on with the team is so important so yeah, in the client onboarding process like this is really where we get to fine-tune 
what we are delivering to the client and remind them. Because sometimes they sign the paper and then they forget what they sign. They're like, yeah, I want all these things. Mm -hmm. Very often and they do that, right? Like that happens all the time. It's really fraught in, in the industry, really. And I talk with clients about that all the time. You've kind of hit a, 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 a number of things that have been, that are really, really, really astute and important. I mean, to, to begin with, you know, really understanding and recognizing kind of the phase of business that you're in. You learn with every project, every client, and how do you leverage that? The things that you shouldn't be doing, the things that you should be doing, the kind of do's and don'ts of a project, and you can learn from every single one of them. The thing that you mentioned that so many agencies miss is the inclusions and exclusions for an SOW, right? Like these are what's actually included, but here's all the things that are not. And making sure that it's 100% clear in black and white, this is what is included and not, is so incredibly important. The, the, the other thing that you mentioned that I just gets as you as you very rightly put the sort of stepchild of the agency, the client onboarding. And I don't know if you've read the book by Joey Coleman, Never Lose a Customer Again, absolutely phenomenal book, but just goes through this in a very regimented way. And it's really, truly inspiring to think about exactly how you go about onboarding a client. But the one of the problems I really do see, and I, I'm actually working with a client right now around design presentation and client training for design because you guys are the creatives, right? You guys do this every single day and you take that for granted when working with a client and not recognizing that they don't do this every day. They don't know how to provide feedback. They don't, like you need to have them, all right, here's the phase of the project that we are in. Here's how we are going to need feedback. Here's the types of things you need to be considering and not just, you know, my wife likes blue, or, you know, it's, it needs to actually be based in, in a, a fact, it needs to be based in research, it needs to be based on your, your consumer demographic, and how do they actually, how do you present the information in a, in a regimented way that allows for them to understand. And one of the things I go through with clients is on an ongoing basis, you should be showing them the goals of the project, what the actual scope of work is, where you are in the timeline. Because yeah, they are going to forget. You're looking at this every single day. They're managing a hundred different things in their business and they forget and they're going to forget. It's also not the top priority for them. In fact, it's probably in their better interest to quote unquote forget because they may get more if they do. So making sure, and that's ultimately your responsibility as an agency to make sure that they know where they are and what they're supposed to be doing and where they are in the project and their responsibilities and all of that. Any thoughts or comments on any of what I said? Oh, 100%. There's, from a system standpoint, right, two things that we have done with our clients, especially that are providing creative work, that I think are super key is one in sort of this presentation phase that of like, here we are in this part, here we are in this next part, here we are in that part, is for a lot of creatives, you know, and I'm going to go a little bit into the weeds and then I'm going to span out. It's you don't want to let people into the guts of, let's say, your project management system because there's so much communication going back and forth. Right. So some of them will include clients into a client facing part of the project management. If Asana does this, ClickUp is kind of doing this right. Like like there's a few project management systems that will do this so that the the clients can see what's happening in terms of the work with the milestone, mm -hmm. but they have a more high level view, right? Because you don't want them mm -hmm. 
looking at what your teams are saying about the different deliverables, right? Um, So if you don't have a project management tool that does that, another thing that I have seen clients do really well is that they'll have some visual schematic of the process, right? And so in, in one way, they'll be like, we are here. And then they send that to the client. We are there, right? And so that way, the client knows from beginning to end, like, what the entire deliverable is and where they are. They'll they'll sort of do an outline of that during the scope of work and the SOW and then throughout the engagement, which really helps, especially if you're visual and and you're trying to have a very quick like summary of what's going on with the clients. And, and that's been really appreciated on both ends, right? Both for mm-hmm. the team and also for, for client facing. Another bit that I think you touched upon, which is really important, is the client education. And and I'm a big believer that client onboarding isn't just a kickoff call or a kickoff email, mm. right? There's so many phases to client onboarding. And part of that, one of, of the things that we've also implemented really, I would say, successfully for a lot of clients is the same way that you would have a funnel right, during the client journey for marketing, right, as you're trying to get clients and leads in the door, is also having emails, right, that consist of the client journey or match to the client journey Mm -hmm. um, to your clients, like once they kick off, right? So, and, and that way it does a couple of things. One, it helps to educate the client. It's like, we are in phase one. This is what we're doing. You know, it also will reduce the load on account managers if you have them, which is also a really big deal because it, it will take up some, and I say some, right, because it's it's not the email's job to educate the client as much as, you know, if you have account managers that are doing it. But, but it does really help, one, train your account managers. It helps to take the load off, the cognitive load off the account managers, and, mm-hmm. and it helps the repetition, right? And something that they can now reference as clients to go back to and be like, oh, okay, this is how I give creative feedback. Okay, in this part mm-hmm. of the project, this is what I need to reference. I need to reference fonts, you know, size, type, topography, right? Like this is what these things mean. Because depending on the sophistication of your client, they may not know these terms, right? And and they might just be like, I don't like it. But what don't you like? Well, I just don't like mm-hmm. this one little thing. Everything else is grish, right? Because you might end up doing a entire redo when it's unnecessary. So it really helps to educate the clients. And for the clients that are more sophisticated, what it does is that it shows your level of expertise, right? And so Mm -hmm. that really scales in terms of being able to educate certain clients and then also being able to demonstrate credibility with those clients that are more sophisticated. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. When it comes to you, and, and I will disagree with you on a, on a little piece, and I think that emails actually yeah, can do it. a lot of the client training. And so one of the things that um, a client does like particularly well and with my guidance was creating emails that are intended for each different phase of the project that include, and they're utilizing, they're utilizing Vimeo to just cut the videos together. And they made the entire training feel like it's specific for that client but it actually wasn't and how they want to be thinking about each different phase and how they're going to provide feedback and where they're going to go and so all they do is they cut in an initial video right at the beginning and then 
start showing their screen of exactly what they're going to need to be doing and how they're going to be providing feedback and where they're going to put it in and what they need to be thinking about and all the font components of it and everything, but actually going through and allowing for the client to actually be trained via an email really. So it actually allows, and I think that a lot of people look for automation, not just to save time. And I think that automation is utilized to remove error. And that's the actual more effective component to automation and utilizing things like that. And I just think it's just such a great way to make sure projects go the way that you want them to. One of the other things that I I see happen an incredible amount is that work needs to get done and redone, I should say, internally, because the designer may go in a direction that either was not the right direction, was not on the mark, or just, you know, kind of plain wrong. And that results in lost time, lost profits, and just losses all the way around, right? You may not be able to work on other projects that you had slotted. And what are your thoughts on what agencies can do to prevent this or process orient to allow for this to not happen as frequently or even potentially eliminate it? Absolutely. And I think one of the piece is quality assurance. I think that so often there is either no time. It's like, I don't have time for quality assurance, but why doesn't things look the way that I want them to? So I I think that there's a lack of time and intention when it comes to quality assurance. And Mm. and I also think for like design work or creative work, there's there's also almost like a what I have seen from my perspective, almost like a hesitation to instill like processes around creative work. Right. Whether someone's, you know, junior It's like, well, we just want them to learn how to be more creative. Or if someone's like, you know, regarded as a creative genius, they don't want to like mess with their vision and talent. And, you know, and and I I think that we can't put process in. Right. Like I'm a very unprocessed person and you would be removing Mm -hmm. the creativity components. It's called creative process. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Like we just want everything to be really organic. And to that, I mean, there's there's huge design agencies that have been around for a long time that have process, right? Like the only way to mm-hmm. to scale is is the ability to have process. And so when we're thinking about, you know, just preliminaries, right? Like like are there specs for each different kind of asset that you're creating, right? Like what are those? Are things being done to spec, right? So let's remove mm-hmm. creativity from the conversation, right? Like are things being done to spec? Do we have client briefs that are asking for what the client wants, right? Because mm-hmm. it may not be profitable depending on your size of your agency to have your designer on every single client call, right? Like someone, no. what happens is you're playing a game of telephone between what the client wants, emails, maybe Slack if they're in your Slack or Teams, right? And they're in your different communication channels, an account manager and or an owner, and then a designer. You might even have another intermediary level of a creative director in there, depending on how big you are, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there's there's a lot of chiefs in the kitchen, right? And so, and, and a lot then of duplication also, in time on those calls, right? Like you, there's a lot end of dupl- wasting mm-hmm. so much time. There's so much time, and and things can get lost in telephone, right? And so, so my question is, where is the client feedback going? Like, do you have a centralized place? for this client feedback? Do we have project management 
to be able to go through the different, you know, whether we're hitting, you know, milestones or deliverables or, you know, specific projects or retainers or assets. Like, do we have the feedback containerized in one place? Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, even away from the specific, like, how do we do this one thing creative process as a meta process? Do we have project management in place? Do we have communication systems in place? Do we have mm-hmm. centralization of feedback in place? Uh, you know, for for a lot of our our clients, we're like, okay, you know, if we want to centralize the client communication, step one. If a client is sending emails, or if you have some sort of Zendesk, or if you're using something like, is it going directly into the project management? into the client folder so that we can then disperse things. Do we know if it's in scope or out of scope? If it is in scope, are the changes, you know, like for that particular deliverable, or sometimes the clients are asking for something that has nothing to do with what you're doing. And now designers are confused, right? Is it cohesive, right? Like, do we have some level of style guide, whether formally or informally that we're following so that you know, we're sticking to what the client wants and what we've mm-hmm. agreed that we're going to do, right? Because sometimes those things are not mutually exclusive, right? So mm-hmm. like, you know, are are things being done upon agreement or not? And and so I think, you know, one is having these meta processes around project management and communication and centralization of feedback. And then if we're going to get nitty gritty on it, it's, you know, if we're doing, you know, specific work do we have specs for that kind of work for the assets that we're delivering um to to quality Mm -hmm. yes qa checklists i mean you know if you're doing let's say a facebook ad versus an instagram story versus a you know simple marketing website versus an app right like all of these different mediums Mm -hmm. require different specs right 100%. and so are we up to date with what those specs look like because if not that somebody's going back and they're like resizing and reshaping and redoing right like just at a minimum mm-hmm. of like where what is the medium what is the asset that the medium belongs to is that you know and we could be like oh they can just google it they can but how much time is it going to be spent for a designer to project. google this and if they forget it, or if they or they or they google wrong because mm. you know the internet is kind of a big place with lots of interpretations and opinions mm. on things <laughs> the interwebs right and it's not like these <laughs> platforms ever change their specs right so mm. <laughs> right so one is like do do we have a place to reference are there sops do we have training for these things and and then when it comes to now having a creative eye right like is there someone in the organization that is going to train this person up on what does creative quality of work look like for your organization, right? In a small yep. organization, it's probably going to be an owner. In a bigger organization, it's you know going to be some level of like creative director or you know someone that is giving yep. things internally a second eye before it goes to the client. The client. And so there's these different systems that come together and work together to make sure that as you're growing, your quality doesn't decrease and your reputation isn't at stake. So one of the things, and you've hit so many important components to it, but now I imagine you 
have some listeners being in a place where it's like, oh, I don't have a creative brief and no way I have every single person on the call so that they can get the information that they need. But so let's say that one of the listeners at the moment does not have a creative brief at the moment. They are going to remove people from calls. So they need to process orient all the action items that come out of a meeting and then they do not have SOPs. So they're going to go through and they're going to implement just those three items, which I say just, those are some big, big swing items. But let's say that that's the case, right? And they have a team that needs to ultimately implement and follow these new processes and these new rules. And it's difficult sometimes to change habits. So how do you go about getting team buy-in and get the team to follow that new process? Yes. And I'm going to go through an acronym that I came up with called power and change, right? Because what you're doing is that you're creating change in an organization And depending on how long your team has been with you, sometimes they may not love that, right? They're like, well, I know how to do Mm -hmm. things and this is how I've been doing them. And if you have new people versus, you know, legacy people, sometimes there's a rift, right? But I go of like, Mm -hmm. oh, you got eager beavers and, you know, people have been there forever doing things on their own way. So I think the power and change is really important, not only for, you know, any sort of organization that you have, but really to, to reach a place of adoption glory. So P, pick a date, right? And I say pick a date for whatever you're doing, whether it's you're going to implement a project management process or you're going to implement a client brief so that you have something to work backwards from, right? You're almost going to project manage this change, right? So we're going to pick a date. Two, you're going to own the narrative, okay? Think about this as your own tiny PR experiment. You want your team to know what's in it for them because it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if things are more efficient or more profitable. Like no one gives a sh. It's Actually about what's in hour. it for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So so we want to know what's in it for them. This is whatever you're doing when it comes to process. It's always going to make people's lives easier. Right. It's always going to elevate like and and for creatives like the process will set them free. It actually will create more freedom for creativity because it's going to give them back more time. Mm-hmm. Now, W, you're going to win the buy-in. And the way that we do this is that you're going to select a couple of change champions, people who have high signal strength, people who, you know, other people listen to in the organization that are excited, that, you know, are, are going to really be like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Everything is awesome. Like, these are the people that you want champing this change Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they're going to help the rest of the organization win buy-in e we're going to educate the team right Mm -hmm. so sometimes people don't want to do something because they don't know how to do it Mm -hmm. so we want to close exactly so what we want to do is increase the capability and the confidence right because now they're like oh i had one of the grumpiest people talking about creative briefs like the grumpiest people about doing a creative brief. And the creative briefs were mostly for copywriting. And, you know, he had been a journalist. He had been in the editorial process. He had been working in the agency world for like 20 years. He had 100 years under his belt. He's like, why are we doing this? Blah, 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 blah. And once you, once people see the light, they're like, every single time, every single time, why didn't we do this sooner? Why didn't we do this five years ago? Why have we been doing it the way that we are doing it since now? Right. Like people really, especially creatives, even though and I know this is a bit of a stereotype, so I'm just going to caution this. (laughs) But I think that there is 
there's a love-hate relationship with structure. But if you mm. if you give enough structure that gives time for creativity, it's usually really well received. Okay. So R in power. Run a test. Right? Because what we don't want to get into is this perfectionism and trying to make it like perfect. Right? Change speaking directly to me now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Like change change is messy, right? Like be a messy bee when it comes to your process change. Like, so run a test, right? And so like now you've got some power. And then what we need is change, right? So power and change. C, you want to chart the development. So plan and track the implementation, right? Treat this like, like I said in the beginning, treat it like a project. H, think of habit before process. It takes 28 to 45 days to change a behavior. And so in order to do that, don't think about this perfect process that you're implementing for the team. Think about this as habit creation where your people are changing their behaviors. So have a little bit of empathy with that. And in order to help them, we're going to go to A, automate reminders, right? Make it easier to help them build habits. So wherever this is happening, whether it's in a project management system or in a communication, just remind people like, hey, don't forget, we're doing this. This is a new thing. And this was really important. You're going to nix any urges to like Hulk out, right? Because you're going to want to kill some people. During this process, all right? So you just want to like nix the urges to kill and just know that there's a process to the process. Grab a walking stick and go walk around the block every time. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, Um, So I would say track and gamify the participation if you can, right? Like if you have time to make it fun, I've had people, and, and it doesn't have to be like an expensive gamification. I've had people do crazy things for like $5 Starbucks cards. It's insane. You know, just because people want bragging rights. All right. G, get feedback. You're doing this for the first time. Every single team is different. You know, every team has had past experiences. Some of them, you know, might come from other agencies that are bigger, smaller, crazier. Yeah. Yeah. So get feedback, like figure out what's working, what's not working, you know, what's creating excitement, what's not. And... And, you know, from different parts of the organization, too, because some people are client facing, some are not. So so get the feedback. And then lastly, for your change is elevate the change. Right. Like now you get to optimize the system or the process because people are bought in. You know, you're you've basically like helped them build a new habit. They're doing it. It's being done. It's gotten past the messy middle. Like now you can really elevate that change and, you know, and make those, you know, whether it's the brief or the process or whatever it is that you're implementing better. 100%. I, I know in my experience, right, and getting the team buy-in is so incredibly important, but I know for me as well as the team, getting processes in place was the pathway for me to go from 80-hour work weeks to for me being in a place where if my eyes were open, I was behind a computer and from being in a five-day work week where there was quite a bit of overtime for my team to working, all of us now working anywhere between 24 to 32 hours a week and getting more done in that work week and being on a four-day work week. We all have more comfortable lives, more work-life balance. And ultimately, I have more faith personally being able to step 
out of the business, right? And not having to be, well, within reason of stepping out, but not having to be as involved. And that is the pathway for you is making sure one, that you put those processes in place and two, make sure that you think about it appropriately. And as she was talking about power and change and making sure that you do really go through each one of those steps. I agree with every one of them. The habit one is incredibly important. I'm really enjoyed reading both The Power of Habit and Atomic Habit, like both phenomenal books around habit. And uh, yeah, habit is such a huge, huge, huge thing. If we had more time, I would tell you about how I developed a habit and then almost ended up crashing my car because my brain turned off when I was doing something and oops. And anyways, it was such a phenomenal conversation today, Juliana, just so much incredible value. If a listener was looking to get in touch with you, where can they find you? How can they get in touch? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, you know, it's it's really hard when you're in the grind and you're trying to scale and you're trying to do all of this. So one of my big beliefs is to create resources for for people to succeed, no matter the circumstances. So you can go to scaletime.co slash agency blueprint. And, you know, there's three things that you can do when you're on there. One, you can sign up for a diagnostic. So if you're thinking about different processes and you're like, hmm, which one should I implement and which ones do I have? And maybe if you're a process nerd like I am, which ones do I want to optimize? That's a great place. It takes five minutes. We look at 50 operational gaps and wins, and we'll send you like an infographic of your processes within 24 hours. So that's really cool. It's also part of our industry study. So you can see where you stack up to like 600 other agencies as well, which is pretty neat. Also, feel free to, you know, sign up for our mailing list. Once you do, you have about three months worth of like tiny actions that you can make to improve processes. So that's really awesome. And if you are just kind of, you know, wanting to wrap your head around what are your next steps to scaling and you want to book a call, feel free to do that. And that is at scaletime.co slash agency blueprint. Awesome. Thanks so much, Juliana. I'll make sure to include that in the show notes for you, everybody, and have a wonderful day. Once again, thank you so much for carving out the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. Now, chances are, if you're an agency owner listening to this podcast right now, then you may be feeling like this. Because I was finding myself constantly overworked within our business, um, constantly like too busy with fulfillment or too busy with uh, customer service needs. So I didn't have the time to go think about how am I going to close this person or what I'm going to say to this person or what am I going to do with this or what's the next strategy I need to do. Now, of course, this podcast is here to help you with a lot of things. But at one episode per week, it's going to take a while for us to share everything you need specifically for your situation. So if you're really serious about committing to fixing the problems in your agency now so you can build a truly profitable business and get your life back, then I want to invite you to apply for the Agency Accelerator Program. I'm not so stressed during calls thinking, oh my gosh, I got, I got to sell, I got to sell, I got to sell because if I don't sell, I don't, make our, I don't make our numbers, you know, and if I don't make our numbers, I can't pay our people. If I can't pay our people, then our business is down. This program is designed to help creative agency owners get to 1 million in revenue per year in 12 months or less. I char- typically charge one client a $3,000, anywhere from 2000 to 3000 Now I'm uh, moving towards only 5000 and up. And my latest client that I closed is a $10,000 client on a monthly retainer. 
we only accept about 20% of the agencies that apply to this program because we want to make sure that we only work with people who will commit the time, energy, and resources required to take what they learn in the program and use it to create an agency of their dreams. You've taught me and you've taught us how to build this within our company that if X happens, this happens, boom, 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 boom. Like it's so systematic that it's gonna work for itself. That has given me the sense of like, oh, I know what the heck I'm talking about. I know what I'm good at. I know that I can deliver upon what I wanna deliver. And it, yeah, I gained hell of a lot of confidence for sure. So if that's you, then I want to invite you to apply today. Just hit the link in the show notes to apply for the Agency Accelerator Program or go to creativeagencysuccess.com forward slash apply. Thanks, and I'll see you inside the program. Mm-hmm.